Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was gunning for Boston. That was my goal. I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And so when I didn't hit it my first try, I was determined to have a redemption and get that time qualifier. And that's really when I fell in love and fell down the rabbit hole of the science of the marathon. I became a student of the marathon. I studied and read everything I could about how to be better at the marathon. And yes, you have to be fit. Yes, you have to have a strategy, but you have to implement that strategy. And pacing is a huge part of it. Women's running. running, running. Women's running stories. Hello, this is Coach Claire Bartholik. Yes, indeed, this episode features Claire Bartholik, who is a coach and a runner, as well as an author and the host of the podcast, The Planted Runner, where each week she focuses on one actionable topic that you can take in to your own running The story we're featuring goes back to Claire's early running journey in the days before she was an author, coach, or host of a running podcast. It's a story all about going after a big goal and the definitive, lasting satisfaction of achieving that goal. But before we hear more from Claire, I do want to welcome you to Women's Running Stories. We are the podcast where women share first-person stories about their running experiences. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am your host and producer, and I want to thank you so much for being here. You are in for a treat. So let's get to it. Let's get into Claire's story. Indeed, her marathon journey did start with the goal to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And for a first-time marathoner, that's a lofty goal. So it shouldn't come as much of a surprise to find out that once Claire had met that goal, she set her sights on something much more ambitious in her marathoning, and that was to break three hours. Now, I want to give some context to this because it is a really hard thing to do. Only 1% of women break three hours in the marathon, so let that sink in for a minute. Of the thousands and thousands of women who run marathons, only 1% of them run this fast. So this was a really big challenge that Claire had set for herself. Add to that, she didn't start running until she was in her mid-30s. And her original motivation was to get ready to look good at a high school reunion. But then, of course, like so many of us, she got the bug. And in her late 30s through her early 40s, the marathon became a very serious focus. And it all started with that first marathon. 
Claire was 38, she was the mother of two children and a real estate agent, and she had that goal to qualify for Boston. And it was there that she learned the hard way one of the very first rules of marathoning, and that is the importance of pacing. Here to tell the story is Claire Bartholik. Well, certainly I got pacing wrong my very first marathon. I had a dream goal in mind, and I just thought I could go ahead and run that. There was a pace group that I started to follow, and I was probably doing good for the first half. But I had, of course, chosen a hilly, cold marathon in my hometown, which is probably not the best one for your first one, and probably lost that pace group just after the half, and it was miserable after that. So I learned in my very first marathon that going out too fast or going out faster than your fitness allows is going to make a very painful finish. So after that first big learning experience, Claire set to work figuring out how to run the marathon, and pacing was a primary focus. Well, to be fair, I have never run the classic negative split. That's when you run the first half of a race slower than the second half. But my thing is even pacing. For me, even pacing was uh, just a better fit for my, you know, fitness, my mentality. Run, getting Locking into a particular pace and just repeating it every single step worked for me much, much better than going out m- too too slow at the beginning and trying to speed up. So, you know, negative pacing is the gold standard supposedly for most races. I personally never achieved it, but what I do use from uh, the negative split sort of mentality is negative effort. Negative effort, meaning that the effort feels easier in the beginning and then more difficult at the end, but the pace doesn't change. Now, of course, different runners thrive with different pace strategies. Claire preferred to keep a steady pace, what's referred to as running even splits, which, by the way, is also very challenging to do. Most people do slow down toward the end of a marathon, so this is where that negative effort concept comes in. But this doesn't work for everybody. Learning how to best pace yourself takes practice. It's a skill. Another valuable skill is learning how to pace by feel, to train yourself to be so attuned to the way that your body moves at different speeds that you can know how fast you're running just by how it feels. This was another piece of the marathon puzzle that Claire set her sights on. As far as learning to get the pace exactly right, being able to close my eyes and know that I was on the pace without looking at my watch, that was something that there's not a whole lot of information that you can just read about and try to you know, apply. So I kind of decided that, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to learn what 730 per mile pace is. I'm going to learn what 650 per mile pace is. I'm going to learn what 930 per mile pace is. And I'm going to memorize how, how far out my legs have to run, what I need to do with my body. And I just, you know, I don't know if it was intuitive, but I just started being like, okay, I need to figure out this puzzle. And so I just decided to pay attention. Although there wasn't a lot of advice on this subject for Claire to draw from, 
She did come in with experience from pursuits that she'd had earlier in her life that she could apply to this learning process. Really what you need to do to to do anything physically well is you need to break it down into all this, the steps, the mi- most minute little details. So, you know, I was on the dance team in high school and we were not super competitive. We, we were like the state level competitive, so not like ESPN level or anything like that. And we would get talk to if one little pinky was out of place for a split second, you know, we would say like, oh, Claire, your hand needs to be straighter here. So I I got into the habit of a lot of very minute body awareness. And most people don't have that kind of background or training, um, but it's not that challenging to develop. You just honestly need to really think about it. So, you know, so I like to do the body scan where I am mentally scanning my body from the crown all the way down to my toes. So, you know, the wind in my hair is a big cue. And where are my shoulders? What is my breathing like? What does my hip flexor feel like? The hip flexor is a huge part of running. Is it completely extended at this pace? Is it 90% extended? Is it 75% extended? You know, you can think about your hip flexor for a good half mile if you wanted to. Just really think about that exact angle that you're reaching and look at your watch or look at the marks on the track. When your hip hip flexor goes out 70%, how fast are you running? You know, think about your knee drive. Think about your ankle. You know, you could do, let's say you're doing a workout on the track and it's, I don't know, 400 meter repeats. Focus for each one of those on a different body part. So do a lap thinking about your big toe. You know, how does your big toe, how hard does your big toe have to flex? every single step for that, you know, 400 meters of that lap around the track. You really, if, if you can think about that, you won't be able to obviously think about that for a whole race. Your brain will start thinking about something else. Your attention span isn't that, you know, long. But if you're thinking about it consciously in practice, eventually you will be able to do it unconsciously. So Claire was paying close attention to how her body moved while she ran, and she took advantage of the tools that were available to her. So I use my watch a lot. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to rely on my watch. I want to learn pace by feel. Yes, but your watch is a tool. And you should use it, but you need to know its limitations. So GPS has gotten a lot better, but it's still not perfect. And it's definitely not great at the track or in a huge marathon in a big city when, you know, there's 30,000 people with garments on and there's skyscrapers around. So there are going to be times when your watch will fail. So you need to prepare for that, knowing that you can rely on other tools. So what I like to do with my watch is like, let's say you're running a tempo, let's say it's five mile tempo. I would be looking at my watch at the beginning in the first mile, I would say probably at the quarter mile. And then maybe at the three-quarter mile, maybe not, but definitely every mile I'm looking at it. I am checking to see if I'm on track and making micro adjustments along the way. Does that mean I'm looking at it every 10 seconds? No, I'm probably looking at it every five minutes when I'm doing something hard. Absolutely. Claire also turned the age-old tool 
of the running track. The track is super, super helpful because it's an even surface and you don't have to rely on GPS. You can use just your watch as a simple timer. So you don't have to rely on wonky satellites or or pace per mile. You know exactly how many seconds or minutes it takes for you to go a given distance. So focus on repeatable actions. So like each step should be the exact same length. Your elbow should go back the exact same amount every single time. And then take a look at your watch. Are you on pace? Are you a couple seconds fast? Are you a couple seconds slow? Then adjust, make note, make mental notes of what your body is doing and start to memorize what that feels like. That's what I did. And I just did it over and over and over again. And then I would look at my watch less. You know, it's it's kind of like a dancer, you know, who's in a choreographed dance. They memorize where their body is to the millimeter to do some of these complicated dances. But you can do the same thing as a runner, and it's actually way easier because you're not doing any complicated movement. You're just moving forward. Memorize exactly how it feels. And yes, this takes practice, but it's just like memorizing a speech or memorizing a dance. You absolutely can do it. Another important concept of getting keyed into your pacing is knowing what paces to run for different types of training and workouts. As Claire learned over the course of mastering her marathon training, when you are looking to run faster, paces in your training program will vary significantly from day to day, or at least they should. I think the biggest thing with pacing is how hard it is to get the message across of how important it is for, especially for long distance runners. Obviously it is for sprinters too, but it is such a difficult concept for people to grasp that they need to run slower most of the time to be faster. So, you know, most people run their easy runs too fast and they wonder why they can't be faster on their speed days. It's because they haven't recovered. You know, most people wonder why they haven't improved in a while. And it's usually because they are always running at this medium pace because they feel good that day or they want a good workout. Well, they don't understand how critical it is to have a very slow, easy pace that stays in your aerobic zone and to touch three or four other different pace zones throughout your training. So, you know, to simplify it, you want to spend the majority of your time running way slower than you expect to run on race day, and then a little bit of time running way faster because they all are helpful for teaching you and your your body and your brain to do different things and develop different systems. So you need all of that to become a better runner, even if speed isn't your ultimate goal. So most people are just, well, I just went out and ran faster because I felt good today. Well, I'm happy that you're feeling good, but you're missing out on the opportunity to develop in the way that you could. So that is the biggest thing that I preach all the time, how critical it is to run in certain pace zones for certain reasons. 
at a, at a certain point, my marathon pace was 650 or 647 was my marathon pace. So on my easy days, I would be running 930 to 1030. And I still run those paces today. Um, I just don't run the 650s anymore. But I, you know, that is my easy pace. It is absolutely embracing the jog. It is absolute jogging. It is chatting uh, with a running buddy. It is listening to a podcast. It is just out there learning how to breathe when you're running and staying calm. So, yep, I promise it works. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of course, pacing was not the only thing that Claire focused on to improve her marathon time. I actually worked a lot on the mental strength part of it, and it is something that I'm passionate about today and I think is a cornerstone of any well-rounded training plan. You know, you have your actual training, your nutrition, and then mental strength is the third pillar. So I think it's incredibly important. And so what I did a lot was I did race visualizations. So, you know, lying down, visualizing every bit of the race, visualizing how everything was going to feel, what it was going to smell like, the entire thing. Um, I got really, really into that. And I also used all sorts of tricks. There's a lot of techniques to get your mind either to stop talking negative to yourself or simply to distract. So, one good one is um, distanced self-talk is what it's called. And that is as simple as talking to yourself in third person. So if you're coming up to a big hill, you'd say, I would say, Claire, you can get up this hill. Claire, you're doing a good job. Claire, move your knees higher or something like that. Just simply saying your name, whether you say it out loud or in your head, it makes it seem like somebody else is talking. And we're always more susceptible to believing a third person or a second person, I should say, rather than ourselves. Um, and that is that works really well. And the other thing that I would do is uh, something I call name my negative. So when the negative voices come up in your head telling you that the effort is too high, I have this voice that comes that is very sweet. She's a Southern grandma. And so I've given her the name Nancy, negative Nancy, not that creative, but, (laughs) and I know that she is coming for the ride and she'll say things like, oh, you can slow down. Your family will still love you if you, if you don't get that time, or this is really hard. You can just relax a little bit and slow down. And once I gave her a name, I could recognize her as just a bundle of negative thoughts that were really separate from myself. And so I could say, hi, Nancy, welcome to the ride. Get in the back of the bus. And I would never let her drive. And so 
when you kind of separate the negative thoughts from you as a person, they're easier to manage because you accept them and then you move on. As Claire also learned, being able to apply different mental strength approaches to different scenarios is really helpful. And it does not have to be complicated. Um, you know, something as simple as just counting to 20 in your head over and over and over again, that sounds like insane. Why would you do that, especially as long as a marathon? Well, I don't do it as long as a marathon, but through through a rough spot or if I'm on the track, I will count to 20 over and over and over again because it is so simple. It is so rudimentary and it can completely distract me from the effort I'm giving and it's rhythmic. So repeating rhythmic things in your head can help your body get into rhythm. So if you're trying to pace lock, doing something that is mentally rhythmic can really help. Simple techniques like counting are beneficial in other ways as well. One of them is they do not take much brain energy. A double whammy with negative thinking is that not only is it not helping like your confidence or your attitude, it's exhausting. Your brain burns a lot of calories and dwelling on worries or other unhelpful thoughts or calculations in your head about pace and time All of these things will pull from your valuable and limited energy supplies during a race. That's energy that you need to do other things like sustain your pace. So something like the simple tried and true mantra, that's always a great option. A mantra is a classic mental strength technique where you repeat something positive over and over and over again so that you are distracted and you're not thinking about how hard the running is. So it could be, I'm fast or I'm good or, you know, any kind of mantra that, you know, is a positive thing, you repeat to yourself over and over again. So while Claire put a lot of effort into aspects of training like pacing and her mental game, There were some factors that just came about sort of naturally. So um, a lot of people will get way into breath work and they will memorize their ratios. So a certain number of steps in, a certain number of steps for the exhale. And I still kind of use the um, counting my breaths with my steps as kind of a checkpoint, but I never really was like way, way into it because honestly, I don't tend to breathe with my steps. It's not quite as rhythmic as that for me. Other people it is and, you know, had lots of debates online about (laughs) which is right, which is wrong and all of this stuff. I say, you know, do whatever comes naturally to you. But I definitely would notice my breath and would notice some of the patterns that I was coming in. So like I tend to breathe in very deeply and then breathe out very quickly. So I don't know if I do that on purpose or consciously, but it is something I don't know. I'm trying to suck in all the oxygen and then as fast as possible, get rid of all the waste products. So it is something I've certainly thought about, but it's not something that I spent a lot of time developing. So clearly, Claire took to her marathon journey with intense focus and total determination. And she experienced immense progress. But like any journey into the unknown, it was definitely a learning process. 
Well, I mean, I just had the natural progression. So uh, I of getting faster each marathon and wanting to get faster. So you know, my first marathon was a 402 and my last marathon was a 258. So I improved a lot. That was over about four and a half years. And so it was just like, oh, I got 402. Let's see if I can do better than this. Let's see if I can qualify for Boston. Let's see if I can shave off a few times. So yes. I was definitely very, very focused on the time and on the data. And when it didn't work out, when I didn't get the results that I wanted, yeah, I was disappointed. So I'm not going to say that that's a healthy way (laughs) that you should approach all your racing if you're so focused on time. You will feel elated when you get your dream goal, but you will also feel devastated when you don't. So a very all or nothing black and white mentality, I don't recommend because it does take the joy away from it. Um, On that being said, I'm super proud of what I was able to accomplish. I honestly probably wouldn't change a thing about it. I I set some lofty goals and I nothing stopped me from getting them. So I'm really happy that I actually did that, but I don't think that is a sustainable way to have like a long-term running career. While Claire's running has changed a lot since she broke 3 hours in the marathon, during the time that that was still her quest, she was laser focused on that goal. So in my second to last marathon, I crossed the line in three hours and 29 seconds. So 30 seconds short of my big arbitrary but important to me goal. And so I was just like, crap. I was so close. I was literally 30 seconds away. And, you know, my family said to me, well, you did it. You got a three-hour marathon. I was like, no, I want a sub three-hour marathon. So that 30 seconds was, you know, like a chip on my shoulder. And I knew that I was going to run it until I got it. And then I was never going to do it again. And (laughs) never say never. I still, you know, I'm keeping that door open. I might do it in the future. But The thing is, my goal became so ingrained in my training that I was all or nothing. And I was overtraining at a certain point. And so what I had to do was actually back off. I had to lower my weekly mileage. I dropped a speed day. So I was only doing really one one true speed day a week instead of two. And that is what allowed me to mentally get there. You know, what I say a lot is goals are like a bar of soap. The tighter you hold on to them, the easier they slip away. And that was what was happening to me. I was holding on so tight to that goal that it wasn't fun anymore, but I was still you know, so determined to get there that come hell or high water, I was going to get there. And being so close, just I knew I was physically capable. I just needed to actually do it. And because of that experience, I was just like the last 5K of my 258 marathon. I My mantra was, you never have to do this again. You never have to do this again. Just get there. Just get there. And you never have to do this again. And that is what happened. So it 
again, the, the accomplishment that I achieved, I'm super proud of, and I am so glad I did it, but I got to the point where the goal was the only thing that mattered and I wasn't loving the training. And the other thing about it, the reason that I stopped was because it felt like I climbed Mount Everest. It was something that I had wanted to do so badly. I did it. And it's not interesting to me to keep pushing that hard to shave off a minute or two here or there. That's not exciting to me. You know, I, I really like, I like challenges. I like big goals. I honestly like being bad at something and figuring it out, out the puzzle. So that was, you know, maybe that's another aspect of it. I felt that I had figured out the sub three hour marathon puzzle and I'm good. Like I know how to achieve that. I don't need to prove it to myself again and again and again. I did that thing. Are there other ways of doing it? Of course. Are there healthier ways of doing it? Definitely, you know. Um, I would say that my training I did really well. Like I would not say that I overdid it physically, uh, but I think my sort of mental obsession about it might have not been so healthy. But physically trained, I I never got an injury. I, you know, I really am proud of the way that I trained for that. So Again, I think that for me, I I think that, yeah, figuring out the puzzle was the most important thing. And that's what drives me today to do all the things that I do in my life. I like getting obsessed with things. You know, I find joy in diving deep in something and, and really figuring out the details and the nitty gritty. So that to me, my personality is really interesting. And honestly, once I figure out the puzzle, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> There's also the reality that for Claire to continue to push her limits in this way, it was really consuming. Yeah, I think I think it's okay for you to be a little unbalanced in your life when you're really shooting for a particular thing. Sometimes it's going to be your main focus is going to be your your relationship. Sometimes your main focus is going to be your kids. Sometimes your main focus is going to be your job. And sometimes your main focus is going to be your running, your hobbies, whatever it is. It's okay to be unbalanced at times because you can't just spread yourself evenly through all the categories of your life. But at times you're going to realize that you're feeling pretty lopsided. And I definitely was feeling that way when I made running a, such a big part of my life. And so for me, running a sub three hour marathon, while it was awesome, that's not a sustainable lifestyle for me. That's not something that I can just keep doing marathon after marathon because I know how hard it is to to train to stay at that fitness level. But it's also, I know what kind of sacrifice it is in the rest of my life. So for me, doing it once was awesome. I checked the box, super happy I did that. But now I need to, you know, be sustainable, do other things, you know, to be a little more balanced in my life. Claire's running has now morphed to be more sustainable and to suit the needs that she has today. Running has definitely gotten me into great shape. Right now, I, I still run, but I, I run probably every other day. And then I strength train and I'm really getting into mobility work now. So that is a new challenge. I, I wouldn't say 
that I'm either bad or good at it. I'm still a beginner, but I definitely am really excited to to be a beginner at mobility and get really good at it. So that is is been something fun. But yeah, I mean, and of course, mentally getting going out for a run clears your mind. I tend to run in the mornings. And so it is something that I do to get a fresh start on the day. I used to be, however, a, an afternoon runner. And the, and I probably will go back to that once um, the mornings get a little too dark and cold. But running in the afternoon is a perfect way to wash off the day and just be refreshed, you know, before the kids come home and you're into family life. So, you know, mentally and physically running, you really cannot beat it. But then, of course, for me, running has become my whole profession, you know, so definitely transformative. Claire's story is no doubt a testament to how transformative running can be. She went from being a non-runner in her 30s to running a sub-three-hour marathon. And now her profession is helping other people achieve their running goals through her coaching practice. Because of this sport, she has also become an author and a podcast host. And beyond that, Claire continues to benefit from the many takeaways she gets from this sport. I think running is a metaphor for life in so many ways. The the journey that I've been through in my running, I'm always seeing parallels in the rest of my life. I, you know, working hard, doing, you know, putting putting in a lot of effort and getting great results. That's why a lot of people run or at least at first a lot of people run because, you know, you do PR right away. You get that dopamine hit when you cross the finish line. You know, you get results from the work you put in up to a point, of course. And so there's always some kind of metaphor. You don't feel like you know, going for a run, but you do it anyway. Well, maybe you don't feel like giving that presentation at work, but you do it anyway and you get the raise. You know, I mean, there's so many parallels. So there's always something that's like, huh, that's, I can tie this or apply this to another area of my life. For sure, this is one of the fantastic aspects of running, is that it is so much more than the activity itself. And that does bring us to the end of Claire Bartholik's story on this podcast. I want to thank Claire so much for coming on the podcast and sharing her story and her many insights into what she has gained from her running experiences. Of course, you can keep up with Claire through her social media and her podcast, The Planted Runner. And a place that you can find a lot of information is at theplantedrunner.com slash link. Of course, I will provide all of this information in the show notes, so you can go there too and find it. In the show notes, I will also provide ways that you can keep up with women's running stories. And thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Women's Running Stories. Episodes come out weekly every Friday morning, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I also want to note that I do not make this podcast by myself. Cormac O'Regan supplies all the original music for the podcast, and he has every single episode. 
and he does that from his studio here in Cork, Ireland. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am the host and producer of Women's Running Stories, and I am coming to you from my home closet studio, also in Cork, Ireland. And until next week, I do wish you very joyful, very healthy strides forward. Women's Running running. Running stories. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.